This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for October 4th, 2019. In this week's episode, a cavalcade of iOS updates, iOS 13 ramps up requests for permissions, a problem with password-protected PDFs, a Touch ID bug, and more. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Hey, Josh, did you update your iPhone yet? Uh, which update are you referring to, Kirk? <laughs> well, there was the first update, and well, no, and then there was a second one, and then there was a third one. And well, I guess we're up to four now, because when we last spoke, it was a week after iOS 13 had come out and there had been one update by then. And since then, there have been three more. So we've had a total of four versions of iOS, the one major update, iOS 13.0, and then three others, 13.1, 13.1.1, and 13.1.2. Now, I've been writing about Apple for more than 15 years. I have never seen this many updates to an operating system this quickly. It doesn't surprise me because of all the issues that there were with the betas in iOS 13, but it's a bit disconcerting for you know civilians, people who don't follow this stuff. Right, and you know what? It's frustrating, too, because... You just when you think, okay, now it's safe to update, right? <laughs> then you you wait a day, maybe, you know, to make sure the update doesn't cause too many people any big issues if you're a certain type of person. And then, uh, you know, so you update maybe a day or two later, and then only to find out that the very next day there's a new iOS update. And it's it's kind of amusing because I, I know a lot of people who are just by default uh, saying, okay, I'm going to wait for 13.1. I know it's right around the corner. And so they waited to 13.1. And then like the next day after they got around to updating the 13.1, 13.1.1 came out with security fixes. And it's like, oh, okay. So then they install that. And then a few days after that, this was only, what, three, four days um, later that yeah. 13.1.2 came out. Now that was not a security update, but it did have some additional bugs that were fixed. It was a bug fix update. Yeah. Yeah. You know, th- there are people I see on the internet who say, I always wait for the dot one release to yeah. update. It's kind of like the same people who say, I only watch documentaries on TV. Um, and all those people, they thought that they were being clever by waiting for 13.1. And then we have, you know, all these other updates in any case, if anyone listening hasn't updated yet, well, if you wait a week, you might get a couple more <laughs> updates. If not, it's probably a good idea to update now because there are a lot of security fixes in these recent updates. Right, exactly. Yeah, there's a, a, a number of vulnerabilities. It's not quite as many as we have seen in the past, but then also they're iterating very fast here. And so there's not as as much opportunity to uh, find and patch new vulnerabilities with each of these little minor updates. But Yes, there have been several vulnerabilities patched, so make sure you're running the latest version of iOS, and you can check that in your Settings app. Yes, go to Settings, General, uh, Software Update, and see if there's an update available. And if you don't have the latest update, then, well, there'll be another one in a couple days, so there's no hurry. No, we're (laughs) kidding. Um, Have you noticed in iOS 13 that almost every app you launch asks if it can use Bluetooth? 
Yeah, I've been noticing that. Um, I, I've noticed that with uh, games, uh, with social media apps, uh, it, it seems to be coming up a lot. So it turns out, we'll link to an article in The Verge, it turns out that Apple has changed the way uh, apps can access Bluetooth that they have to ask now. And my use of Bluetooth in apps is, I've got a Dyson fan in my office, a fan air purifier, and the app uses Bluetooth to connect to it. So I open the app, it takes a few seconds, it connects, that's Bluetooth. Um, I use AirPods, that uses Bluetooth, but I don't stream to a Bluetooth speaker or anything. And I really don't have many apps that need Bluetooth, but I'm finding lots of them doing it. Now, the reason is that the location privacy settings have changed because it's very easy for an app to to use what's called a Bluetooth beacon to track you, like if you're in a store. And in the Verge article, they point out um, like a Macy's app wanted to use Bluetooth. Um, Fitbit wants to use Bluetooth. But of course, that you need it because there's no way your Fitbit data can be transferred without Bluetooth. Um, ESPN wants to use Bluetooth. And the dialogue is, this will allow ESPN to find and connect to Bluetooth accessories. The app may also use Bluetooth to know when you're nearby. Now, when is anyone ever nearby ESPN? <laughs> yeah, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, so look closely at these dialogue boxes. That, that would be my recommendation. Because if you don't feel like they have a good excuse to be using Bluetooth, then just deny it. Um, you know, there's no reason to, that you necessarily need to give everyone Bluetooth access in every case. And I think that's why Apple is putting forth these dialog boxes to sort of raise that awareness. It was a little bit more um, sort of behind the scenes in previous versions of iOS. Um, now, the the flip side to this is that you know, there's some concern that people might get dialog fatigue and just start going, yeah, yeah, whatever. This was a big issue with, you know, Windows Vista, where everybody, you know, who ha- has seen those Apple ads, remember the the Apple ads back in the day, Mac Mac versus PC ads. I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. And uh, yeah. there was one ad in particular uh, that was trashing Vista by talking about these dialogue boxes that would just be annoying and come up all the time. Mac has issued a salutation, cancel or allow, allow, you know, and, and finally yeah. at the end of the commercial... Uh, the security guard says to the PC, you're coming to a sad realization, cancel or allow, allow. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm concerned that this, uh, as hilarious as that was at the time, um, we're seeing more and more dialog boxes, not just in iOS, but this is also kind of happening on Mac OS like in Catalina, which is about to come out soon. Not even in Catalina. In one of the latest Safari updates, if you go to download a file from any website, you get a dialogue asking if you want to allow downloads from the website. Um, now, it seems to me that you only get this once and it's remembered. So this is good that it'll stop drive-by downloads. But on the other hand, if it only happens once and then a site gets hijacked and you've already authorized downloads, you're not really protected that much. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It, you know, it's, it's one of those things where as, as frustrating as it might be to get all these dialogue boxes all the time, Apple's doing it for legitimate reasons. They're trying to help you to be aware. And so the advice that we can give is just pay attention to the dialogue boxes. Don't just, you know, get that muscle memory and dismiss it because you really do need to be paying attention to these things when they pop up. 
You know what they should do? They should have them display in a different location on the screen every time. So you just don't have a reflex to tap your thumb in the same place. Then you'd have to pay more attention. <laughs> well, maybe. But then, you know, the other problem is, you know, if they're changing up, you know, the location of the OK versus not OK buttons, you know, uh, then yeah. people might end up accidentally hitting the wrong button. And so you have potential problems there, too. So I don't know what the best solution is on all this stuff, but... Well, one thing that I find surprising, I'm looking at my phone now in uh, settings, privacy, Bluetooth. I see a list of four apps to which I've granted uh, permission to use Bluetooth. Casper Glow. These are lights I have in my bedroom. HealthMate, because I have a Withing scale. Ring for my doorbell. And Sonos for my Sonos uh, speaker and amp. But I'm not seeing the names of apps that I have denied access to with the toggle off. And I think you should see that as well. You should see... What has asked for permission and what you've denied in addition to what you've allowed? Right. I think we're getting to a point where Apple needs to start being a little more granular and giving a little more information and letting you more easily opt into and out of certain things. For example, we've talked before on the show about something called trust jacking, which is the idea that if you plug in your iOS device into a computer and you say, I trust this computer, it's never going to ask you again. It'll ask you every time if you say don't trust, but once you say trust, yeah. it's forever trusted. And I think it, under certain conditions that it, it may prompt you again, like after a major uh, OS update or something like that. Yeah. But when it, when you've told it to trust that device, now you have a potential security issue. And if you come to realize later, oh my gosh, I didn't really mean to trust that device. There's no easy way for you to just untrust that one PC or, or Mac, whatever it is. Now you've got to uh, go through this whole process and reset a whole bunch of things all at once you know, drop a bomb on, on your device and to reset all these yeah. settings. And that's, um, not ideal. So a- Apple does have some work, I think, to get a little more granular with some of these ways to get out of these. Checkmate. Checkmate. Go ahead. Tell us what checkmate, checkmate is. Checkmate is. And it's spelled C-H-E-C-K-M. Yeah, that's right. The number eight. Checkmate. Eight. Yeah. <laughs> so th- there's a new jailbreak method that was discovered by a, a security researcher. Um, he was looking at the uh, an, an iOS 12 update that came out last year, I believe. And he noticed that there was a fix that had something to do with something that he realized he could probably exploit for jailbreaking purposes. And so what he was able to, to find out is that any iPhone from the iPhone 4S, which by the way, can't run a current version of iOS. So this is a really old device all the way up to iPhone eight and 10, which is only two years old. Um, and also iPads that happen to use the same processors as any of those, iP- as any of those iPhones, any of those. T- and lest we forget the iPod touch as well, and the iPod touch, which we're going to get back to um, all of these devices can, if you have physical access to the device, you can compromise the device's security. So um, this is kind of a big deal. This this is, in a sense, I mean, this is not something where somebody over the internet can attack you with this exploit. Right. I think we need to come up with a jingle 
when we've got something that requires physical access, because there is a big difference between someone having your phone in their hands and someone being in a basement someplace on a sofa um, hacking into your device over the internet. Well, that's quite true. Yeah. I mean, very, very big difference. This is something that you might be concerned about if you're, you know, maybe you're paranoid, maybe you're doing illegal things and you don't want to get caught. I don't know. Um, but if you have, um, a device that is of that vintage, then basically you need to know that all bets are off. Now, if somebody can take that device from you, there's a way that they can exploit that device to get into it. Now, what this means, uh, and, and again, mostly this is going to be used by the jailbreak community because they like to, you know, install customized versions of operating systems. You could even theoretically boot an alternative operating system like Android on an iOS device if you're crazy enough to. Can you do well, that? You have to compile it and all that kind of stuff. But, oh, but you okay. could theoretically do that, and you could even. Okay. Um, this, this is where it gets a little scary is that a, an attacker with physical access can compromise your device. They would still need your device passcode or to brute force it for, in order to access your private data specifically. So, um, so that, that. Okay, this sounds less and less dangerous as you go further in the explanation. Yeah, but you know, a lot of people are using, um, you know, an old four digit pin, especially on older devices. You know, uh, yeah. even on newer devices, a six-digit PIN. You know, you think about it. Um, how many combinations is that? Uh, that's not. That's not a lot. You know, you haven't a hundred thousand. You know, when, when I set up my new iPhone, I think it was defaulting to a four-digit PIN, and I paused because it didn't look right. And then I had to go back and choose. Whatever the option was, you get three options, four-digit PIN, longer PIN, and then alphanumeric. But it was defaulting to the four, even though I thought the six had been default for a couple of versions of the operating yeah. system. Even with a PIN, though, even if you've got you know the maximum number of digits they allow in a PIN, you know, you've got roughly you know, a million uh, combinations to go through, and you can exhaust that eventually. Um, so one piece of advice, if you have an older device and you're concerned about this, um, just make sure you're using a, a passcode, not a pin, not a four or six digit pin. Make sure you're using a long passcode. And yeah, it's going to be annoying, but guess what? Most of these devices also have touch ID or face ID. If you have touch ID or face ID, it saves you a lot of time. You will enter your passcode every time there's an update to approve the update. And then after when it restarts, um, every, I think eight days or something, you still have to re-enter your passcode. Um, but it's really easy to make a secure passcode. I'll link um, in the show notes to Battery Horse Staple, um, which will tell you how to make a secure passcode um, that is almost memorable. You know, I was just thinking about the physical access thing. You know, every once in a while you see like a, a high security courier carrying a briefcase with something in it and it's handcuffed to their wrist. Someone should sell an iPhone case with handcuffs on it so people can keep their phones and no one can get them. You know, like in those movies where that guy climbs the buildings and jumps out of planes and all. Oh, you mean Tom Cruise? Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about password-protected PDF files. We'll talk about legit-looking iPhone lightning cables. We'll talk about mal spam and touch ID bugs and a whole bunch more stuff. 
If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So PDF files, we all use PDF files a lot. I use PDF files. I often save uh, documents as PDFs or I'll write something and send a PDF to someone who's going to review it or edit it. I remember when PDFs were first introduced, do you remember back in the day that you had to have something called the distiller to create the PDFs and then you had the reader and that in the very early days, I don't know if you remember this, this goes back into the mid nineties. You had to pay for the PDF reader. Adobe tried to make this um, a protocol that would bring in a lot of money, and they open-sourced it. And you can generate PDFs from the print dialog in the Mac, which makes them really useful. Now, there's a new hack that can let people read the content of password-protected PDF files. But I was telling you before the show, I would never password-protect a PDF file. I wouldn't assume that it could be safe. If you search on the internet for, you know, crack password PDF, you'll find tons of apps that can do this. So... Okay, we're worried, but should we even be password protecting PDFs to start? With? Okay, well, so most of these um, past attacks against PDFs and zip files is another one. Um, these are common files, and they're both uh, capable of having a password protection mechanism added to them. So um, you can, yeah, you can probably find an app that will claim to be able to break into these, but most of the time at best, they might be trying to brute force attack, you know, the password, which means that uh, if you've got a weak password protecting the document, they could probably crack it pretty quickly. If you've got a very complex password, it could take a very long time potentially to break into that, that document. So brute force, or what's called a dictionary attack, means that some software is just going to try every word that exists, as well as well-known passwords like that perennial favorite, one, two, three, four, five, six. Right, exactly. And it, so it'll try a whole bunch of combinations. But what, what this particular attack uh, has to do with is um, basically the way that PDF files are created, the way that the standard is established, there's certain parts within a PDF file that can be encrypted. And there's other parts that don't have to be encrypted. Um, so you could end up with a PDF. Um, and, and well, let, let me first paint the, the attack scenario. So let's say that you've got a password protected PDF that you want to keep safe. 
Imagine that someone else, a malicious third party, gets a hold of that PDF. Uh So what they can do if they've got that PDF file is they can maliciously modify your PDF, your password protected PDF, and they can add some additional bits into that document. And if they can somehow convince you to, or your recipient to open that compromised version of the file, then under certain circumstances, um, it could either automatically exfiltrate the unencrypted version of that and send it to the attacker as soon as they open the file. Or in some cases, there might be a click you know, or, or some user interaction involved. It depends on the scenario. Exfiltrate the unencrypted version of the file. I like that. That sounds very high-tech. Yeah, well... Any expression with exfiltrate sounds high tech. What's funny is that, I mean, all of all of these concepts that we're talking about are part, essentially part of the PDF standard, which is why this actually works across a variety of PDF readers, uh, in browsers, uh, including Safari. Um, now, it's not all that bad necessarily for uh, some scenarios. Safari and the Apple preview app on macOS um, cannot automatically, as soon as you open the file, they won't automatically exfiltrate data to the attacker. And it's actually a little bit unclear whether or not Apple has um, done anything to fix this vulnerability in more recent versions of its software. What's odd about this research is that um, the researchers are were looking at versions of, of these programs from about a year ago. So it, it took them a long time to finalize and publish this report. Um, now, I looked at all versions of Safari between 11.0.3, which is the version that they tested, all the way through 13.0.1. And in Apple's security documentation, I didn't see anything specifically calling out a fix related to PDFs. So it's unclear whether this may still be an issue. Um, But I guess the takeaway from this is, you know, uh, always make sure that you're using the latest version of your software because there may be fixes for this in some recent versions, at least partial fixes so that you won't have automatic data exfiltration. And also ensure that your password protected PDFs, if you are going to password protect PDFs, make sure that you put them somewhere where others cannot access them. <laughs> if you've got them stored in some public place where anyone can grab them and potentially modify them, um, you know, you could be opening yourself up for some trouble. Okay, let's do a lightning round for the remaining few minutes of the show. We've got a bunch of stories that are really interesting. Um, and hey, one of them has the word lightning in the headline. Legit looking iPhone lightning cables that hack you will be mass produced and sold. We talked about this in a previous episode. I hope I can find a link to put in the show notes. Um, that these are lightning cables with a little chip that can actually have what Wi-Fi in them can send data, can have a mini operating system. They can have anything in these, in these little chips. This to me says, don't buy lightning cables on Amazon. Now, what's the solution? You buy them from Apple where they're 15 or 20 bucks per cable and they last six months before they start um, falling apart. There are some reliable companies that make them, but we were talking before the show about how many counterfeits there are on Amazon 
uh, particularly SD cards for cameras are, are highly counterfeited. Maybe some of the third parties on Amazon selling lightning cables from well-known brands are selling counterfeits. And I, this, this is, I think I just want to turn off my computers, <laughs> turn off my phone and go live in a cave when I see stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I think the important thing here is either buy your cables, your lightning cables directly from Apple, as you said, and you're going to pay a little bit of a premium compared to third party cables. Or if you are going to buy a third party cable, make sure it's from a very reputable vendor and that you're not buying from a third party. Cause that is something you can, um, uh, do by accident if you're not looking carefully on Amazon. Right. So you need to see that it's, it's sold by and shipped by Amazon or whatever the wording is not sold by Joe's hacked lightning cables and fulfilled by Amazon. That's different. Um, I like this one. Most mal spam contains a malicious URL these days, not file attachments. I didn't know the word mal spam was used. Basically it's like malware, but it's spam. Um, it, this isn't new. We've known this for a while that the main target of spammers is the kind of link. Here's your invoice, you know, click here to see your invoice. And if you hover your cursor over it, uh, you'll generally see that it's some, you know, totally boring website, like my favorite cats and com slash something, something, something. And so what they generally do is they, they hack WordPress installations that have poor security and they stick files about 10 levels down someplace where no one will see them. It's true that I don't, often get spam with attachments anymore. Yeah, I think this is something that just kind of is out of necessity because you have so many people who have heard the line from people like us, you know, don't open attachments you're not expecting that, um, well, they've just moved on to something else. And guess what? It's actually even easier to just embed a link. And um, one interesting thing, by the way, that I've seen in uh, some recent spam campaigns is they've uh, so Google had its own URL shortener that's been decommissioned for a while. But there were some spammers who uh, registered a bunch of goo.gl links right at the end, right like on the day before Google canceled that service. And those URLs still work. So what they're doing is whatever URL that goo.gl link redirects to, they're just redirecting that URL to whatever spam or malware campaign they want to to uh, redirect it to now. Um, and so they can continue using that goo.gl link until maybe at some point Google might decommission uh, those short links or maybe someone reports that short link is malicious. Um, until then... Um, they've got a very legitimate looking, hey, look, that, that looks like a Google short link. That looks probably safe. Okay, so if you can't log into your banking app on the iPhone, it could be a Touch ID bug. I find this interesting. Um, my banking apps use Face ID, um, so it's similar to Touch ID, but with, with Face ID, all you get is that little animation on the screen to show that it's working, but there's no dialogue that shows up. When you're using Touch ID, there is a dialogue that shows up uh, touch ID for whatever with that little pink fingerprint icon, and then you touch Touch ID. Apparently, there have been some banking apps where the dialogue isn't showing up, and it the app is just sitting waiting. It turns out that it's a bug that the dialogue doesn't display, but if you put your thumb or your finger on the Touch ID sensor, then you'll log in. Now, this kind of worries me that a banking app would open without me seeing that dialogue, that to me seems suspicious. Even though I understand what's happening here, the dialogue is just maybe being displayed out of bounds, uh, not on the screen. But the fact that you 
don't see the dialogue and can log into your banking app that bothers Right, exactly. I mean, because you can think of scenarios where somebody might try to pop up a, a dialogue box like this and hide it. So if a, an attacker can figure out how this bug is is uh, occurring, then they could potentially use this against you. So um, now this, the article uh, that we found that's talking about this on 9to5Mac only talks about this as being present in iOS 13 through 13.1.1. We don't know whether it's been fixed in 13.1.2 or whether it's going to get fixed in a future version that may come out soon. I'm sure it'll get fixed. Um, This article came out before 13.1.2, so we're not sure because, again, I have Face ID, so I wouldn't see this. Okay, last one. This new Google tool protects you against dangerous passwords. Come on, we've all done it at some point. We've reused the same password. Maybe not one, two, three, four, five, six, but maybe my favorite sports team or, you know, something like that. My kid's name followed by their birthday. It's something really simple. Well, Google is going to add a feature uh, It started as a Chrome extension called Password Checkup, and it's going to be built into the password manager in Chrome for uh, Android, iOS, macOS, and Windows. And it will check if you're reusing passwords or if you're using weak passwords. Now, this is kind of already the case in most password managers, but I think the majority of people don't use password managers, and they depend on either Google, uh, if they're Android users, or the keychain uh, for iOS and the Mac. Right, yeah, and you know what? This is a great thing. Um, I, although I don't actually necessarily recommend saving your passwords in Google Chrome, uh, just because the the way that Google Chrome uh, stores passwords is... Um, uh, uh, not quite as secure as one might like it to be. Um, oh, you're a party pooper now. Yeah, well. But- it says in this article uh, on Fast Company, a blog post from February explains how the company hashes and encrypts passwords to allow them to be checked anonymously and safely. Yeah, it. you know, so Google has gotten better at this. I think uh, some recent versions of Chrome have started now to require you to put in your user account password in order to view passwords that are saved in your passwords list. And this didn't used to be the case. So, you know, maybe this is not not so bad after all to save passwords in Chrome. But I, I just, I, I'm of the in the habit of not saving passwords in there just because I know their past practices have not been the best. Um, but well, I don't save them because I use one password yeah. and one password is like at a meta level can be used with any browser on any device. Right. Um, and so I don't save, I do save my passwords in the keychain for Mac and iOS. Yeah. And I use, you know, the two of them to, for me work together. Well, here's one thing that I want to see in one of these password managers if I look in one password, and again, we're not promoting one password because we're getting paid to promote them. This is just what I use, and I think what you use as well, right, yeah. Josh? And there's lots of alternatives out there. Yeah. Um, what I want to see is some way, if, if I look at all the Apple.com logins that I have with passwords, like um, www.apple.com, mysupport.apple.com, appleid.apple.com, um, developer.apple.com, they all show in as different entries. And so sometimes I'll go and it's, it's harder on the iPhone where it'll show a bunch of passwords and there's like 12 of them. And some of them are old ones that I've changed, but to a different subdomain of apple.com, I want something that will catch up with that and let me delete the ones that I don't need. Cause I end up entering, choosing the wrong one and getting bumped out several times. 
little little bit off topic, but I just got a, a, a message that just popped up saying that Apple has um, seated the golden master of uh, Mac OS Catalina. So that means we're going to be seeing it real soon here. Okay, so the gold master comes out usually seven to ten days before the final release. Um, so that suggests that it'll be Tuesday in 12th, 13th that we're going to get that? Potentially. Yeah, we, we should be getting a date real soon. It tends to be a Tuesday. And if they've seeded the gold master, then they will announce a date soon. Well, that's good. Um, we'll be able to talk about that in, well, in two episodes, because next week will be too soon. So in two weeks, we'll be able to talk about macOS Catalina. I think that's enough for today. We've covered a lot of things. Um, we'll be back again in a week. And until then, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>